Hello everybody, and I'm back. Welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast. Morgan, I'm not going to say the thing that I said last time I was on, but... No, please don't. I am I am very glad that uh, we decided to do uh, samurai movies for me coming back, particularly Kurosawa, because this movie is fucking awesome, and that's all I can say right now. Uh, how are you doing? How's the weather down in England? I'm doing wonderfully. It's been very, very hot and stuffy and nasty, but it's all good. It's all good. Do you know why? Because we are talking about these samurai movies. Because, Nolan, I, of course, ask you frequently, well, what movie would you like to talk about? And you you were on a samurai kick, so you thought, oh, let's watch a couple samurai movies. Because, obviously, in our last episode, we did Throne of Blood, Kurosawa's Throne of Blood, which is his Macbeth uh, adaptation and from 1957. I should, make, I should make it clear that uh, I do get to choose the movies I pick. It's not like a Clockwork Orange type scenario. No, it's not. Where Morgan is forcing me to watch uh, the movies he wants. You know full well what it would be if um, I had full power to force you to watch the movies I wanted to watch. It'd we be 24 would. hours of Witchfinder General. It would almost be 24 hours of Witchfinder General. And other select Vincent Price movies, along with weird movies from the twenties that birthed modern horror, that would be what I would choose. Obviously, now this movie we're talking about today happens to be my favourite Akira Kurosawa movie that I have seen, and as I said in the last episode of of ours i've seen a few of them seen a good few of them not as many as i would have liked but i've seen a good few of them and this is still my favorite one it's very very fun i really like your jimbo which is the movie we're talking about today thank you for picking this one this week Noah. you can thank the autocorrect for not fucking it up when i chose the movie really well for I'm, once yes your jimbo didn't get autocorrected to uh Yo Himbo or whatever. Your, your Jimbo would have got auto-corrected to, I don't know, any other such word. Anyway, Nolan, in comparing this movie, then, of course, this is, well, conte- context, context for this movie. Kira Kurosawa loved John Ford Westerns. He did. This is a fact. Kira Kurosawa wanted to make movies that felt like a John Ford Western, which is why this movie is in absurd widescreen. It's so wide. It's too wide in some parts. You can't see what's going on. It's like it's like if you ever if you ever watch the uh, the real theatrical versions of the original Star Wars trilogy. And they're in that tiny little letterbox, wide, wide format. It's the exact same. Because obviously George Lucas was inspired by Kurosawa, and it's all, it's a cycle of inspiration. It's a cycle of inspiration. We like, we like that anyway. That's where the inspiration comes from. And I find it fascinating that this movie, Yojimbo, was inspired by John Ford Westerns and went on to inspire Sergio Leone Westerns. Two diff- very different types of westerns, but it's a very 
um, intermingling relationship between Japanese movies and American Western movies that's really, really fascinating. I like it. I, I would agree with that. Uh, th- I think I like this more than Throne of Blood as well, and this is going to sound weird, but it's both more grounded and in a, same, a similar sense feels more mythical, if, if that makes sense. It's like, uh, the, you know, the classic story of a solo man coming into a town that's completely fucked. Yeah. And then pretty much just wrecking shit and showing them like how to how to be better. Essentially saving the town from themselves. It's a very classic sort of what I imagine the the westerns take a lot from. That's the kind of stories they do, you know, the man with no name, that yep. kind of thing, which this movie directly inspired and or ripped off. We can get into that maybe we, later. We can say that Sergio Leone took this movie and literally just shot for shot remade it for Fistful of Dollars because that's really kind of what happens. I mean, it's not shot for shot, I suppose, because obviously two very different filmmakers, very different styles. It kind of fits with Hollywood anyway. It's all about whitewashing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. Um, But yeah, it's... It is, it is the same story. It is the same story as that. Um, and yeah, I I do prefer this movie to Throne of Blood. I think Throne of Blood has its big merits that we talked about, obviously, being the fact that it is one of the creepiest uh, Macbeth adaptations out there. And that it's just very kind of mysterious and oddly... Oddly fast-paced, but very kind of slow and deliberately paced. And it's a strange mix that just all works really well to create this really mystic atmosphere. This movie Mm -hmm. is an action movie. It's very, very different. This is almost like a pure, you know, outdoor action movie. Toshiro Mifune's kind of been quite funny in this movie. He's kind of witty. Like, there's the secondary characters that are ridiculous and funny in their own way. But it's ultimately just Toshiro Mifune or Sanjuro as his actual, you know, character is. Um, Funnily enough, there's also a sequel to this movie called Sanjuro. Um, So, you know, that. Same character, different town, that kind of thing, I would have guessed. Exactly. Exactly. Again, inspiring your Man With No Name trilogy that only, of course, came out a few years later. You think this movie's 1961 and A Fistful of Dollars is 1964. So it's really a quick turnaround. Um, but yeah, it's I, I prefer it to Throne of Blood too. Yeah, it's... I don't know if you ever saw the Every Frame of Painting video about Kurosawa, but he talks a lot in that about how Kurosawa shoots movement. And one thing you notice in this movie specifically, the way the camera moves and essentially tells the story and the action is just as important as the characters themselves. Like, I don't think there's one single static shot in this movie at all. And even when he does, it's always like the weather behind it is sort of telling you what the mood of the scene is going to be. Uh, The fight scenes, you... You don't miss a single part of the action. It's not like this weird thing we have now with a lot of action movies where it's this stupid cutting and a lot of edits. And the thing I love about it that's also very influential 
you feel every impact. You feel the swipe of the sword, you feel it cutting through the bone, you feel the thing... Li- literally, you feel a hand dropping in mm-hmm. one scene specifically. And I feel that also went on to influence a lot of uh, great action films that we have now, like, say, um, like Kill Bill, where you feel every single action scene. The first John Wick, where you... Yeah. The gunshot and the impact are both different feelings that you get, and I feel we wouldn't have that to that extent without Kurosawa being as good as he is. It does... It does take the kind of action elements of the of the very old westerns and brings them and sort of um i don't know it develops them it kind of almost improves them but improves them in such a way that they become more visceral like you've like you said there which again directly impacted what westerns became in the 60s and the 70s when they became way more gritty and kind of violent Uh, those are the westerns that we tend to prefer even though you don't like westerns all that much i'm sure you prefer the westerns of the 60s and 70s um in, in in general because they are kind of more nasty there are a few westerns that I do like. Like I, I, I'm always gonna get flack for this, but you know I like uh, the ones that we've covered, like uh, Butch Cassidy, Sundance Kid, yeah. High Noon. Modernly, I like Django Unchained. I yeah. think that's really fun. It's just some of the classics, like specifically, they've always had this feeling of they're they're taking from somebody else's work and like trying to do it. Not, I mean, I get the idea of trying to do it your own way, but it's sort of stating in a very arrogant way that oh this is the way it should be done this is the way it's better and that's just something i completely disagree with as an artist you know art is not made in a monolith if they just did their own version of it and there would be like yeah here's what it is i'd be fine with that but the way they act as if it's like the universal way to do it that's yeah kind of what turns me off about westerns but uh with kurosawa specifically i did not know that he uh he was a john ford western fan and you know even thinking about that I can see that influence in his work, and it's we even said this before we started recording. It's this influ the cycle of influence. Mm-hmm. It's like John Ford makes westerns, Akira Kurosawa makes his own movies, which then influence so many things that we have now, like your Star Wars, yeah. uh, even to a sense like Die Hard and like what the modern action movie becomes. I mean, I don't think we get like Rambo or anything without this movie specifically, and moving on from that like even the modern era do we get like a john wick do we get kill bill do we get all these incredible action movies that we have now without the work these directors did well i think those are the kind of movies that you've got to look at oh now obviously kill bill takes a lot from samurai stuff and martial arts movies anyway Uh, but particularly john wick actually i think is a good comparison because john wick is a very lone wolf story this is a very lone wolf story, and of course, the lone wolf as a stereotype, an archetype, whatever you may want to call it, is very much ingrained in the Western genre. Um, as a man who would come into a town, deal with the problems, and then be doomed to just do that again in another town for the whole of his life. And that's just kind what of, he does. It's kind of sad when you think about it, really. It is. It is. This is 
I've always found this is why I've kind of always found westerns kind of interesting um, because I know they have the very they, they like to be political at times westerns and politically questionable at times as well um, but they're interesting in in the fact that they have such clear values is that they're also really good think pieces even the more what you may consider problematic ones being the ones that are kind of like oh we're killing all the native americans yales which is the case in some westerns they will have characters in them that are very very doomed characters and these might be you know the heroes of the story but ultimately they will never see true happiness because they are just wanderers and that's kind of this movie you could argue it's maybe how a director feels possibly like like that this town could represent maybe a big crew and everyone who's got their own agenda fighting over what should happen and the director has to come in and just sort of solve the mess maybe you could argue that's how kurosawa saw himself when he made it look i, I like that idea i like that idea i think that i'm pretty sure he doesn't want to kill them no like you can get that feeling like you have to come in and sort this mess out i like that i like that a lot because it might it might be it might be the way however i've always kind of thought kurosawa as as quite a sort of pleasant um sort of guy who would get along with yeah he wasn't like an alfred hitchcock no back in the day someone like hitchcock yes i could see i could see kind of that coming to i could see hitchcock being like okay guys you're all being silly i'm going to solve the problem like, I could see Hitchcock be doing it. And to be fair to Hitchcock, he would solve the problem. But um, I don't I don't necessarily see Kurosawa that way. Because he always used the same actors and all that sort of stuff. I mean, Toshiro Mifune is in all of them. Takashi Shimura is in all of them in some role. Um, Toshiro Mifune is quickly becoming one of my favourite classic uh, movie stars. The man. I don't. I don't cool. even know if he would be considered a Hollywood star by like what we consider a Hollywood star today, but he's just he's got he has such a presence whenever he enters a scene. It's like he completely owns the camera. Like the camera is there just observing him, instead of like the camera being the storyteller. Yeah. Well, I mean, to to be finicky about it, you couldn't call him a Hollywood star anyway because he never made a Hollywood movie because they're Fair. not Hollywood movies, but. He is, uh, by all accounts, a great star of the quote-unquote classic era. Absolutely. He is a very, very cool actor in terms of the fact that he's just sort of swaggering around. He's very sure of himself. He is a typical action hero in that way in movies like this in particular. You can see why Clint Eastwood was inspired by him as well in terms of his performance in Man With No Names and Going Forward. It's a very st- the very stoic kind of character, but you can tell 
maybe he's stoic and a little bit cynical, but it, like his heart's still in the right place. Yeah. He does want to do good. It's just this is something that's brought up a lot in discussions about this movie. People are gonna die in moments like this, and sometimes innocent blood is gonna be spilled, and that's just the sad fact that you have to accept. Something that he you imagine that this character lives with every yeah. day. Yeah. And one one other thing I really love um, is the sort of dichotomy between Toshiro Mifune's character and this one particular young dude on the gang war side who's a complete jackass yeah. and pretty much, I mean, he's like the King Joffrey of this movie, honestly. He's just young and swaggery and arrogant. And this is something I love about Ghost of Tsushima as well and why I kind of like samurais and swords and all that world. I've always considered the sword to be a very honorable weapon because you have to get up close and personal with your enemy. It requires someone with real skill to do that. And this character, who's completely arrogant and boastful, clearly the villain, uses a gun. And I've yeah, always found does. guns to be very cowardly. Yeah. And like you can you can shoot from a distance. You don't really have to face your enemy. That's one what's one of the many reasons I don't like guns. I think swords are an inherently better weapon, both concept wise and they look cooler. I mean, they both do they ultimately they both do the same thing, but and that is, you know, they're both built for the same thing, which is to kill another human being. Uh, which isn't a nice thing in any circumstance, but I do not disagree with you at all. Swords have plenty of sort of symbolism of honour and respectability and because even in the medieval world you, you were passed down swords through your family lineage and it was a very kind of ceremonial item and to do that with a gun, for example, I think would be a little silly because it's not it's not got the same kind of history behind it and it's not got the same respect behind it as a as an item. Um I think so and the the fact obviously swords are used ceremonially as well. And I suppose in a certain way guns are used ceremonially. In your, um, whatever, what do you call them at funerals where you have the, like, yeah, big the, ceremonial funerals. The salute Where shot, you have the yeah. saluting shots. Yeah, I don't know the exact phrase of them, but you have those as well. Um, and may, maybe it's just the fact that we live over here where swords have been such a huge part of ceremonial history that it's just ingrained in us. Um... I don't know. Even even to the point where if you kill somebody with a sword, you have to clean the blood off it. That kind of gives an idea that the people you've killed, like, it stays with you. Yeah. Whereas with a gun, you do it from a distance, and you only have to clean out the fucking barrel when you need to reload it. No, it is, so it is way more that, personal. That shows, I think, a, you, know, you know me, I've always loved the hero-villain relationship, and I love when stories like this can do that. Like, have clear opposites that are kind of almost like the mirror of each other in a way and it's not just in weapon it's also in attitude the way they do the fight uh this guy uh, Toshiro Mifune plays he could probably kill everyone in here without even breaking a sweat and that guy with the gun could probably do it too but you could tell there's more skill required with Toshiro Mifune's thing it's yeah. almost like he doesn't enjoy it whereas the guy with the gun 
is kind of taunting it around like as a symbol yeah whereas Toshiro Mifune's character is just like this is what I have to do to get the job done and that's that that to me is beautiful I love little subtle things like that again though you can look at that as being the doomed kind of wanderer like the lone wolf as a as a as an archetype like I said before might seem quite idyllic like you've got no real responsibility you know you're wandering around from town to town you're a drifter you're cool everybody thinks you're a badass because you get the job done you're incredibly skilled with your weapon of choice whether you're in a western or a samurai movie it's the exact same situation but ultimately that's all you are you're somebody without a name you're somebody who... He even takes his name from something he just saw. Exactly. Mulberry Fields. Exactly. Um, he takes his name from the Mulberry Fields that he saw and the fact that he is around the age of 30, which is Sanjiro, I think that is the, is the translation. San is three, I think, in Japanese. So, um, yeah. But in whether it's a Western or a Samurai movie... You don't have a name. You don't have a place. You are just an asset. It's sort of a, an inhuman asset to whichever location you are in. Um, which is isn't that desirable when you actually look into it that way. Um, because all people... I think, inherently want a place of their own and an identity of their own and to be, to have some sort of uh, legacy, however big or small it may be, of their own to ensure that their name is remembered. You don't have that as a lone wolf. You're just somebody who... Oh, remember that guy? Uh, I think so. Wasn't he a legend? What was his name? I don't know his name, but he got that stuff done, didn't he? Wonder what's happened to him now. He might be dead. You don't want that, because then nobody knows. It's in, it's built in, built into people to want to I, have something left behind. I love those kind of characters, just in fiction anyway. The lone wolf who comes in, solves a town's problems that they can't solve themselves, and then just continues on with their life, and it's both kind of tragic and kind of fulfilling since that's the only thing they technically can exactly. do. I mean, I love stuff in that, like The Witcher. The Witcher yeah. is great at showing that. Yeah, exactly. And there's this inherent loneliness to them that makes them more empathetic than someone who would just come in like guns blazing, like, I'm going to kill everybody here and then that's it. Exactly, exactly. That's why you get the, the different types of, and I know I keep bringing up westerns, but you really can't talk about samurai movies without talking about westerns as well. The other side of Westerns is what, you know, is kind of generally referred to, or at least I do, as the Community Western. You have the Lone Wolf Western and you have the Community Western. Uh, the Community Western where the whole town comes together, rallies behind their leader to fend off the outsiders. Which is also both an idyllic way of looking at things and a somewhat uh, questionable way of looking at things. They're both 
the same in very, very different ways. The community Western, yes, we have a strong town, we have a strong, strong values in this town, we love our town, we love our town's people, but anybody else we hate, no, go away. Which yeah, is that's a nasty probably why thing. I, that's probably why I don't relate with those as often. I much prefer the idea of this town's got problems. And you can even sell that in the way that the setting is used. You go in and one of the first things the guy says, like, the most profitable business here is the coffin business. Yeah, that's exa- the exact same line in the start of A Fistful of Dollars. You see the coffins get made. And you see all these guys, the coffin maker with all these coffins. And Clint Eastwood Clint Eastwood walks in and he orders, he orders uh, four coffins, I think. And then he goes and does away with four people and it's very very cool but it's the exact same uh again parallels there but i like the community western as well for for its for it upholding its values um and in a very similar way seven samurai obviously inspired the magnificent seven seven samurai is a community movie it's a, obviously a samurai movie, um, but it comes under the community angle of western slash samurai movies because it's a group of people that get together to help a community and fend off outsiders. I've, I'll be interested to see how Kurosawa tackles that when I eventually watch it. You should do. I mean, it's a long movie. It's three hours, um, but it's, a, it's an epic action extravaganza full of horrible rain battle scenes that are just ridiculously impressive and Toshiro Mifune sprinting around like a madman all the time which is unusual Let's really when you go from for watching that then. yeah it, when you go from this movie and Toshiro Mifune is strolling around with all this power and presence and just knowing he's better than everyone else and he's going to get the job done being effortlessly cool to go and watch him in Seven Samurai, where he's screaming his head off and charging around like an insane person all the time, is quite different. The man has range. The man has range as well as being just great. A terrific actor. I mean, he died in like early 2000s, right? I don't know when Toshiro Mifune died. I don't know. It's like if he was still alive today, I mean... I could imagine him popping up as like maybe villain roles or like supporting characters in big action franchises now. I don't think he spoke English. If he English. wasn't still making, even then, there's Japanese actors who get cast in like things like John Wick who don't speak anything, but they're oh, just there for true. the fight choreography. That's or true. maybe he'd be in something like The Raid or something like that. Uh, Toshiro Funi died on Christmas Eve, nineteen ninety-seven. Nineteen ninety-seven. Damn. There you go. There you go. That's just fact. There's a nice trivia fact if anybody's interested in the life of uh, of one of Asian cinema's biggest stars in history. Yeah. There you go. There you go. And you know, I next time I watch a Kurosawa movie, I really want to have a glass of sake next to me. Well, just go all go all the way Japanese with it. You know, sit on the floor. Um, knee, sit on the floor kneeling have a fire in front of you have some sack my carpet's not that comfortable that's not the point though is it you have to sit on the floor 
have one, have a sliding door. Nobody has sliding doors, do they? I, I have one for my kitchen, but you it actually have work. a sliding door. I like I like the, I like sliding doors. I like sliding doors. Again, we kind of talked about this obviously in the last in the last uh, in the last episode we did on Throne of Blood. To watch foreign language movies and movies from obviously different parts of the world is equally as interesting as just you know oh I'm watching a new movie, but you get to watch a new culture as well. Or you get to learn more about a culture that you may be somewhat familiar with. And obviously, Throne of Blood was set in, what, the 1400s or the 1500s in Japan or whenever it was? It's adapting an English story and putting it through a new lens. This feels like a very Japanese story. This Inspired by American myths, but takes it in its own direction. Exactly. And this is obviously, you know, clearly set in the 1800s or something like that so it's you know uh, uh, it's brought forward in that way and again it's showing us the culture that we may not be too familiar with um, of what the life was like at that time in a small village in Japan because you know we we all have these views of the wild west and its little villages and its cowboys and its bandits and whatever whatever but transfer that period of history over to different parts of the world and you'll learn so much more education education is fantastic it is it is you and with movies you can be educated and entertained at the same time that's and why we started this show, isn't it? It is. It is exactly. It is exactly why we uh, why we started this show. But as a movie in itself, your gym. It's perfect. It's near flawless for me. I would like to hear you tell me why you prefer this to Throne of Blood. I prefer this to Throne of Blood because uh, while I really love Throne of Blood and uh, the way it adapts my favorite Shakespearean story, it is kind of just one thing. It's very mythical. It's very otherworldly. It's very spooky and everything. This feels like it's doing so many things and doing them flawlessly. Like It's mythical in the sense of the stranger coming to a town. It's grounded in the sense that the action is brutal and that you feel every fucking impact. It's shot beautifully, like you'd expect with a Kurosawa film. The camera is doing great storytelling tricks, as well as the characters themselves. It's a simple story. Guy comes into a town, stops a gang war, rides off into the sunset. And there's really, really fun character stuff in it, too. Like, the relationship he builds up with some of the locals. The idea that these bureaucratic people are taking women from prostitute houses and just using them for their own gain. I love the idea of someone coming in, inspiring change, and then just doing it in the most brutal way, leaving, and then you don't know if that town's going to heal from it, but you get the sense that if it did go into chaos again, it would almost have this character like a sort of guardian angel. And I kind of love stuff like that, where this movie's clearly doing so many things, but because Kurosawa is such a great storyteller and a master of his craft... He can do them all flawlessly without you even noticing that he's doing them. 
It's just, it feels like a more overall great experience for me than Throne of Blood was, which is still great, but Throne of Blood, I feel, is more just, it's one thing, whereas yeah. Yojimbo is a lot of things. That is a very good point uh, as well about the, the the lone wolf kind of movies, is that they do come across as guardian angels, in a way. They come across as mythical figures in this, in whatever little town or village they end up helping out because in in every movie in the, in this way it always turns out pretty well for the town but you're never quite sure what it's going to be like for the central character themselves but ultimately that's the interesting aspect of it and it's almost not what the movie is interested in the movie is interested in helping the location and the central character is just, like I've said before, it's an asset to help do that. And you said they like to inspire change and positive setting. change. Setting too has so much character going yeah. for it as well. These characters like to inspire positive change, which is again why we like the, these lone wolf westerns, because they do always inspire some sort of peaceful change um now you're never quite sure no you're never quite sure if that's going to stick around like you said but the movie leaves you thinking that it will and then yeah you just you just assume sanjiro goes off to help some more people out and you know what nolan let's go and watch sanjiro itself the sequel or the Whatever, whatever it is, the partner piece, the sister to this movie. Um, and I'd be down to do that for my next pick. I mean, if you really want to go on a samurai kick, we could watch, we could watch Sanjiro. For the, I mean, I uh, could just get the uh, Kurosawa Blu-ray collection and then just you could, wire through all of them. You could do that. You could do that. Drop thirty quid on it. You could do that. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good point that you bring up them acting. As a guardian angel, definitely, because that is that is exactly exactly what they are. Does this movie and talking about these kind of movies make you go make you uh, want to go and watch some more westerns, even just for the thematic side of them? It might make me go back and revisit a few westerns through a new lens. Good. Not sure if I'd be excited to do it because I'd be like, okay, am I going to get bombarded with the same old American patriotism thrown in my face? Yes, you are, but that's the point of some westerns. But through this new lens, I might view them a bit differently. Who, who knows? I, I would give them another shot for sure. Even in your most reviled western of all time, which I know for a fact is the movie Rio Bravo... There are characters in that that are very, very doomed people. And it's more... The the, the characters in Rio Bravo are more grey than I think you think they are. The, the, look, the, the point of that movie and the message of that movie is the most direct thing possible. And Could that be a thing we do on this show? We revisit movies that we've done like maybe ages ago to see if they've changed? It could be. 
It could be. We could do some revisits if you're up for doing some revisits. Absolutely. Because I did see you and Janine did the mummy again. We did. That was for uh, for Janine hasn't seen because she wanted to do a Universal monster movie, and because we've kind of done a lot of the Universal monsters movies on this main show anyway in the past, whether it's been with you know me and Janine or me and you. Um, the Mummy is the one that we've done the longest ago because it was the ninth ever episode of this show. Um, the one major Universal monster movie we've never done on this show is Dracula. I think that's because we started off and we said we're not going to do the obvious. Possibly. That should be a special episode, maybe. Possibly. But also, Janine didn't want to watch Dracula. <laughs> Janine was way more interested in watching The Mummy or The Invisible Man or something like that. And I said, well, we did the did do The Invisible Man recently. Dracula's kind of the reverse of this movie with the lone wolf coming to, like, <laughs> kill a town. Look, <laughs> <laughs> you could see, you could, look, you could look at Dracula in that way. I like, I don't mind looking at Dracula in that way. The outsider is the central character who comes and destroys all the things because that's what him and the people have to stop him. I like that. I like that. It kind of is. It kind of is in that way. Um, but we could do we could do some revisits. We could do some revisits because I know obviously I think I think you would appreciate a rewatch of something like Rio Bravo and we know obviously what Rio Bravo was made for. Rio Bravo was made to be absurdly patriotic and um we like very very conservative and it is it is that as a movie but there is elements to it that are really really worth the deeper than as simple as we may first see it um obviously obviously we prefer high noon the movie it was made in um, in relation to, I say in relation, it was made to oppose High Noon and High Noon's absurdly communist views, which apparently it has, because the town didn't uh, didn't help uh, Will Kane, did they? In High Noon, that was the point of High Noon. Will Kane had to do it all himself because the town was too scared, and America didn't like that the town was too scared. Because that's not what the American people would do, is it, Nolan? No, the American people would come together as one town like they do in Rio Bravo. Unfortunately, they're doing that with masks as well. Possibly. <laughs> yes, they are. Um, and by that, I mean being anti-masks, not yes. pro-masks. Wear your fucking mask. Um, yes. Toshiro Mifune would wear a mask he would. if he had to. He would wear a mask, and he would if he if you weren't wearing a mask, he would force you to wear a mask by simply brandishing his samurai sword. The mask or the sword, and then you will. Either way, you'll die. You will, and then you will be feared, or you will be you will be shocked into fright, and then you will wear your mask. Um, but no, both sides of that i've always thought are perfectly valid arguments and perfectly valid stories and they of course are yes rio bravo comes across very heavy-handed because it was made as a rival piece that's why it was made with the 
inherent belief that we're going to crush High Noon. Which, it comes across. But there is still characters in Rio Bravo that are very, very grey. And we like grey characters. Um, so it still, I've it not still seen... keeps that. I've not seen a fistful of dollars, but I don't imagine it's the same thing as like a high noon Rio Bravo situation. It, I feel that movie, without having seen it, would be we're inspired by this and we want to do our own version. Oh, exactly. Maybe maybe it crosses a line a few times. I don't know. I haven't seen it, but uh... no. Th- look, that is it's exactly what a fistful of dollars is. It's exactly what a fistful of dollars is, and this is why this is why I tend to prefer the. 60s westerns and the spaghetti westerns and you know going forward there is because they are kind of apolitical now john ford westerns and westerns before the as a general rule and it's obviously not all westerns as a general rule westerns before 1960 are quite political um, in one of the major two ways, right? Mm-hmm. Westerns after them start to become stylized, or major westerns start to become stylized, because you look at one of the most successful westerns in the 60s, the Sergio Leone movies, the other spaghetti westerns from Italy, and Spain, and the, you know, the Magnificent Seven, and that sort of stuff. The Magnificent Seven is more of a traditional western but in in a kind of a very stylized cool way Um, but westerns changed in the 60s as in general in general because of obviously the massive European influence that they weren't focused on American they didn't care about what American politics were because they were all Italian and Spanish so why would they just want to make a good movie that's got these really interesting, unique characters in them? And that's what they did. And this is why I, I prefer those, because they are more... They're just they're, they're more fun to watch, because you're not watching them with the background of, well, what's this saying? And while it's fun to watch movies with the background of, well, what's this saying sometimes... Sometimes if it's, you know me, I like a movie that's kind of over-stylized and a little bit fantastical, and spaghetti westerns give me that. Um, They really do, in every one of their forms. I really like uh, the original Django from 1966, just because I love the idea of Django carrying around a coffin with him wherever he goes but in the coffin he hides a massive gun that he just uses to mutilate everybody because he is the harbinger of death he's death walking around from town to town i mean i guess that does show the how western and eastern stories are completely different and i mentioned this before the gun thing Clearly, the gun is more associated with like the Western style of storytelling, and the sword is more associated with the Eastern style and it is. medieval styles of storytelling. Yeah. I'd be interested to do like a whole like sort of deep dive into which weapons are used in which movies and what they kind of symbolize. If no one's done that yet. I might do that. It's interesting. 
It's interesting. Because I think even if... <laughs> I mean, you, you could get really psychological with it. If you really wanted to, you can get really psychological with it. Because ultimately, ultimately, as many, many, many sort of filmy, filmy people will tell you, and by filmy, filmy people, I mean people who really analyse things. I mean, we like to analyse to a certain extent, don't we? But who like really analyse things and obviously link everything to... Uh, sex obviously because everything is about sex every weapon is somebody's a penis that's that's the general rule that's the general rule and whether you want a gun that's by that logic uh eastern people and samurais have bigger dicks than western possibly (laughs) but also by that logic um the sword is more personal, more... <laughs> think about it. The sword is more intimate. More personal, more intimate. The gun is more quicker and distant. So what... Again, what is your preferred way, guys? What is your preferred... You want something quick and distant? I don't want something quick and distant. You don't want something quick and distant. You, you the know sword, what I want to know? The sword for the win. <laughs> I want to know, what does Shrek use in all of that? Shrek uses the earwax from his ear. (laughs) That he just carves into a blade. That's how you know I'm truly back. We haven't had a Shrek reference on this show for a while. That's true. That's true. He just just carves it into a blade. That's what happens there. (laughs) That's definitely what happens there. Oh, dear. Anyway. No, that, that, that that is what honestly what people would have you believe and you can look into you can look into it like that if you want you can look into the history of weapons like that if you really want to if you really want to get symbolic about it because uh, it makes sense it makes sense when you look at it i don't know it's funny though it's very funny but so overall this is you say that is it, would you say this is your favorite kurosawa film it is it honestly is because I think it's the most fun. It's the most fun one I've seen because it feels like a full-blown action movie. And yes, it feels like one of the westerns that I really really do like. Having not seen the rest of Kurosawa's movie, this is my favorite so far. Yeah. We'll see how I feel after I watch the other ones. Look, I you know, from the ones from the ones I've seen, Seven Samurai is it is the Magnificent Seven? Obviously, it's just a it's a longer, more kind of gritty version um, that's really impressive. But it takes kind of focus to watch. I think this movie is a easier, more palatable version of a samurai movie than Seven Samurai is. Mm-hmm. Um, like we've we've already obviously mentioned, Throne of Blood, the Hidden Fortress is just you. You only watch that because it was the major inspiration for Star Wars, so you just get that off it, basically. So it's fun in that way, but I don't think it's as good as your Jimbo. Um, uh, probably not. The thing you really do get as well is again, obviously the 
major Star Wars uh, or major influence on Star Wars that Kurosawa had is the amount of wipe edits. Because obviously Star Wars is quite famous for the wipe edit. And every single edit in like the first in Star Wars, in the original Star Wars, must be a wipe. I can't recall anything that isn't a wipe. Um, and Kurosawa uses wipes all the time. There's no fade. There's no dissolve. There's no cut. Everything's just scene wipe. Scene wipe. <laughs> Scene wipe. There's no fancy editing. Everything is just hey, next one, next one. It's like sliding a little plate along, isn't it? I like the wipe. Yeah. As, as an I edit. do. Lo- I use the wipe as an edit quite a lot in my video essays. <laughs> it's fun. It's just such a. I do like it. I know people like to say the best editing is invisible editing that you can't see. Rubbish. Drivel. The best editing is the editing that you really notice because it means something. Make your transitions count. You make, make exactly make your transitions count. The wipe is phenomenal in making you notice that a story is moving along. Because it's not like a, your average cut or anything like that. It is very clearly. Oh, that's that's going over to the right hand side of the screen, and here's a new picture. It's like, yes, it only takes half a second, but your brain notices that. And it's what. Definitely. It does. It's why subconsciously we notice a lot of things, like when a camera can change weird angle in the middle of a scene, and we go, oh, what the hell's happened there? Something happened. Yes, actually, that means something to the our overall scene. And it's fun to be able to notice that. That's why I like noticeable editing I really do you do and I think where I can end off on this is this is further proof you should seek out stuff from without that's not from your own culture if you're I mean I guess if you're a white person you the only uh, movies you watch are like fucking I don't know what what are the film bros preaching about now oh the new Nolan movie Obviously. I mean, I say that, and I'm also very excited to see it. And I don't mean your movie. I mean Christopher Nolan. <laughs> if it was your movie, no. I would be excited. Well, uh, I'll get into that once we get into the uh, what we're doing this week thing. <laughs> I'm sure you've probably seen that I'm working on a script. So. Oh, well, yes, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit. Um, but, no, it is, it is obviously important to... To, like we said before, to seek out movies from from other cultures, and like I said, watch watch Japanese movies, watch Chinese movies, watch Korean movies, watch French, Spanish, Italian, German, Scandinavian, Eastern European, Russian, African, African, uh, South African, Nigerian, Ghanaian, uh, Eastern African, Egyptian. Is there many Egyptian movies? I don't know. Middle Those Eastern categories movies. at the Oscars that you always skip over to get to Best Picture, go back and pay attention to them. Middle Eastern movies. Have you ever seen a Middle Eastern movie? No one. Well, I grew up in the Middle East, so yes, you I was on a few of those productions. Well, there you go. There you go. It's a very fair point. You did grow up there. Um, where, where else in Indian movies? Watch Indian movies. I mean, I haven't seen 
I don't even think I've ever seen an Indian movie, to be honest with you. But, you know, watch them. Bollywood's full of great movies. I'm sure it is. I just it's a, it's a, it's a certain vibe Bollywood that I just don't know if I'm quite ready for. <laughs> it's a certain vibe. I don't know. I don't know. South American movies, watch South American movies. And yes, sure, watch North American and British movies as well because just don't watch Scottish movies without well, the subtitles. Watch some Scottish movies, you know. What's a good Scottish movie, Nolan? If you say train spotting. I'm not going to say train spotting because it's really, is it even a Scottish movie? I mean, some of the cast are Scottish, the director's not Scottish. Yes, it's set in Scotland. It's about Scottish people. Watch Pixar's Brave. Watch Pixar's Brave. There's a Scottish movie for you. There's a Scottish movie. Uh, Watch Irish movies. I've seen a few Irish movies, actually. They're usually quite nasty. Sing Street. Well, not yeah. even Sing Street. I've seen like kind of like Irish crime movies. They're often really nasty. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Hey, Film Bros. You were going on about the Irishman last year. Yeah. Go watch some actual <laughs> Irish crime movies. <laughs> Go watch some Irish crime movies. The um, true Irishmen. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know. It's fun. It's fun. I'm. I'm. I'm just watching these. Watching these few these couple of Japanese movies again after so long for this show makes me just want to go and watch a load of non-English language movies again. Or some new ones that I haven't seen from just any any random country. Any random country. I want to... I, I want to... Oh, you should, you should just get a globe and then just turn it round. Exactly. Hit on a country and look for movies from there. I want to watch the one African movie that I actually own in my collection again. I want to watch that movie. It's a movie. I'm going to tell you about this movie because it's a really fun movie. I mean, it's not a fun movie. It's kind of a really nasty movie again. Um, It's it's an empowering movie, which I like. It's one that we actually studied in our film class because obviously... Does it have a title? It does have a title. It's called Moolada. It's from I Senegal. Um, I think it's from. I think it's Senegalese. But it's a good movie. It's a good movie. It's a unusual movie. It's a very. It's about a very, 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 very heavy subject matter. But it's very empowering. Um, if you're into your. If you're into your female empowerment in movies, Nolan, or just anybody in general, if you if you're into your female empowerment in in movies, and and you're really it's kind of overcoming very very tough situations, female empowerment movies. Watch that. Watch that movie. It's very good. I will. And again, it shows you a culture that you don't often tend to think about. How many times have you thought about the country of Senegal this year? Not a lot. Unless uh, somebody mentions Senegal to you and you go, yeah, I know Senegal, that's a country. That's in West Africa. That's all you ever tend to think about. But go and watch that movie, you'll learn a little bit more. It's only from like 2004 or something like that. So it's not like super old or anything. Go seek uh, those out. It's a good movie. 
It's a good movie. Spanish mm-hmm. movies. Watch Spanish movies. Every movie, anyway. Speaking f- of that, oh, I've seen. I saw a Guatemalan movie. A Guatemalan uh, movie. And this is what I was going to get into with the uh, end up thing. Uh, if none of you guys have Shudder, you should absolutely get it. There unfortunately was a rather whitewashed, westernized version of The Curse of La Llorona in oh, the Conjuring universe. I don't think you pronounce that correctly. And all. La Llorona. La Llorona. <laughs> I, I probably pronounced it terribly. I'm not going to try. I'm going to let our Spanish-speaking listeners, of which there are a few, um can pronounce that properly because i can't i would i would not do it justice but yes there was well there's a guatemalan version of that now on shutter which is full-on latino language handles the story in a much more interesting way it's scary without having a bunch of jump scares and ghost shit in it it's just unsettling i'd highly recommend watching that go get shutter it's only the price of a fucking grande coffee per month oh yeah I think, and there's a lot of cool documentaries on there too. I think a, a streaming service that people should have is Shudder. I think we we all, you know, you all have your Netflixes and your Disney Pluses and your Amazons. Admittedly, I only use Disney Plus to rewatch Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Obviously, obviously, um, but you should have Shudder as well. Shudder's cool. Um, there's that movie as well, isn't there? It's from a few years ago, a couple of years ago. Had a big push last year. I think it's a Mexican movie. Tigers are not afraid. Is that on Shudder? I think it's on Shudder. I'll check that out. I think it's on Shudder. Um, it's the what's it? What's it? Issa Issa Lopez is the director's name. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I what I saw that movie at one of the festivals that I covered. Um, and then, like the year after, it had like a, this huge push and was getting this really good buzz around it, um, which I was pleased to see because it's a very, very good movie. A fairy what I like tale. about what I like about Shudder is that uh, it's not your basic Halloween cesspit. It's not like you go in there and you get like Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween and no. Friday the Thirteenth and all the horror movies that you've watched a hundred times. It's showing you things like the original Japanese, The Grudge, and oh, yeah. The Ring. They're showing you good and stuff. Great stuff. Uh, one thing I would recommend that you would absolutely love. I don't know how big of an Eli Roth fan you are, but uh, Eli Roth's story of horror movies, like the history of them, Ooh, okay. is incredible. Okay. He gets so many great people to come in and speak with it. It's similar to James Cameron's one he did for sci-fi a few years yeah. ago. But this is for horror. I mean, I do. I, I like Eli. I like Eli Roth. I think Eli Roth's had an unusual directing career. Um, being the fact that I also think I think Eli Roth's directing career is a lot like Rob Zombie's being the fact that his first couple of movies were legitimately quite good and you know in their in their own way because I think like was Eli Roth's first two Cabin Fever and Hostel like they're actually quite like legit Decent horror movies. Yes, they're horrifically nasty, but for what they are, they're really good horror movies. And then he's just kind of gone very strange and made movies that are seemingly just unnecessarily gratuitous and all that kind of stuff. Um, And just wanting to be nasty for the sake of it. 
Rob Zombie, mm-hmm. to an extent, has done that as well, because I, I really like his first couple of movies, The House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects. And obviously he remade Halloween, which is a hit and miss. And then he's done unusual things and had to go back to those original characters for uh, Three from Hell, didn't he? Yep. So maybe he saved himself a little bit there. It's It's got everything from slashers to ghosts to monsters. You know, like it has ghosts. an episode that co- has an episode that covers like each horror topic. It's like 50 minutes an episode. It's really good to just sit with a cup of tea I and just that. bask and listen to all these great people who are involved in these projects. Oh, I love that. I'm definitely Tony gonna... Tony Todd's in it talking about Candyman. Obviously Tony Todd's in it. Yes, and Tony Todd. There's also a uh, horror noir which I think everyone's been talking yes. about. Yes. He's also in that. We, it's very similar vibe. Yeah, we watched that a few weeks ago for Morgan hasn't seen when we were doing Black Horror. Horror Noir's a great little doc on the history of, of Black Horror. Tony Todd, he's, Tony Todd's... I love Tony Todd, he's great. Tony Todd, to me, is like the horror equivalent of James Earl Jones. Tony Todd. He, I love him so much. Tony Todd played... Candyman, there's an obvious statement he did. But I like Tony Todd in Final Destination because he's just death. He's the human form of death in Final Destination. And I just think this fits Tony Todd so well. And if you did watch The Flash, which I know you don't, no. he was the voice of one of the villains in the second season. He was the voice of Zoom. Lovely. And he's full-on terrifying. Of course he is, because he's Tony Todd. Yes. Lovely. There we go. Isn't it nice to have discussions about new things, Nolan? Yes, and speaking of horror, did you see on Twitter that uh, I'm working with my friend Gwen on making a horror script? Horror I'm script. having a blast with it. No, Nolan, what, what, what insight can you give... Well, it's going to be a queer-focused slasher movie. We have a really unique idea. I only said I would only go into horror if I could find an idea that was very interesting that I could connect with that still had the fun of everything I love about slashers. So my idea is uh, we have this non-binary teen who kills their abuser in the beginning. Is We're toying with the idea of them going to jail for it or not, but they get out... Uh, I don't know, a year or so later, go to college, and then a copycat killer arises who's seemingly inspired by that kill. Mm-hmm. And bodies start piling up. Okay. And uh, it's really fun. I, I, I'm i really excited to put the queer experience into a slasher movie. Because there, there's this weird thing I get where people assume because I'm queer I don't like horror. What? Is, it, is, is that a thing? <laughs> it's a str- no, they assume like, oh, if you're queer, you, you're very social justice-y, you must not like all this glorifying abuse shit. It's very fucking performative, ah, so, so I want to... Ah, so what you're telling me is that these are people who don't get horror. Exactly. Ah, I see. And I fucking love horror. Everyone knows this. Horror doesn't... Good horror doesn't glorify any of it. Good horror doesn't glorify violence. Good horror doesn't glorify killings. Good horror, oh, idiots who think they, idiots who think this, Nolan, I'm sorry. I've lost the will to think. And that may or may not be an inspiration for the villain. Oh, lovely. Beautiful. I love it. Anyway, um, do we want to wrap up there, Nolan? 
I think we can. Lovely. Um, stuff. Are you seeing any old movies in Odeon lately? No, I'm. I've not. I've not been to the cinema yet, and I don't really plan on doing at the minute. To be honest with you, not until I basically until I can go in somebody else's house again. I ain't going anywhere. Fair enough. That's Keep my safe. that's my view on the thing at the minute. You know, I ain't really going out to the city. I'm not going out to the 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 pub or the restaurants or the cinema. There's nothing at the cinema anyway, apart from the um, old movies. I'm seeing The Exorcist tomorrow. I've never seen The Exorcist. Well, Nolan, obviously, I would. I like, know what you feel about. I the would Exorcist, like so. you to agree with me, and I recently discovered that uh, our good friend Eric Monroe also believes this. Uh, the Omen is way better than The Exorcist, so... I love The Omen, so we'll see. I would like... I'm, ju- I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying I would like you to agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not saying you have to. We all have our own opinions, however wrong they may be in certain situations. <laughs> and uh, by the time this is up, tomorrow is DC Fandom. Which is going to be very exciting. That yes. day, I am seeing the Karate Kid and Inception on the big screen. Then coming home to all the panels. Okay. Stuff about the Batman. Very exciting. New Rocksteady game with the Suicide Squad wanting to kill the Justice League. Sounds very fun. A rocks? Oh. Yeah. Did you okay. not see that? No, I've not. I don't see anything anymore. <laughs> it's a Suicide Squad game has been confirmed by the makers of Arkham. That sounds fucking badass. It does. It does. I like that. Okay. Well, there we go. There we're, we're in for an interesting weekend of of newsy stuff then, which is nice, isn't it? That's good. We I like just want that. to see a look at Cheetah in Wonder Woman 84. That's well, all I want. Hopefully, you know, movies will actually happen again. And... Um, I love that the first look of Cheetah that I've gotten has been from a Funko Pop I bought. That's often the case, though, isn't it? If toys spoil the actual look of, of, of certain characters that we didn't think we were actually going to see properly. Silliness. At least she looks like a Cheetah. Well, she should. She's called Cheetah. Therefore, she should probably look like it. It'd be unusual if she looked like a tiger. Yes, or a lion, or, or a, a lion, bear. Or a bear. Or a scarecrow, oh or a Tin Man, um, be very unusual. Anyway, I think there we go for episode one hundred and twenty-two of It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show. We have been talking another samurai movie. We've been talking your Jimbo from nineteen sixty-one. Kurosawa's your Jimbo. Toshiro Mifune being badass as he often is, and what a lovely discussion on various things that we always end up having anyway nolan yes indeed yay well there we go where can everybody find you and your new wacky slasher movie they can find me on twitter at nolan dean 27 uh where it's toast about it if you are queer and you are a horror fan and you would like to join the development team like as an artist as a writer as a producer if you want to fund it be my guest. <laughs> Hit me up. Request um, funds. 
And also, I will shout out to my friend that I'm writing with it, um, Gwen Gwen J Stone. I believe her Twitter handle is uh, Gwen at Gwen Loves Movies. She's there been a friend of mine for ages. Uh, trans woman who was also coming out with a big uh, Snyder video, which I Ooh. did uh, some voice work for. Okay, there you um, go. Yeah, we're basically really good friends, massive horror fans. We're working on this thing together. I'm very excited about it. Uh, go check her out. Give her a follow. She's a really great person and honestly one of the best friends I could ever ask for. Lovely. Besides you, of course. But, oh, yeah, obviously, and, yes, me. And uh, you can find me on YouTube at Nolan Dean. Uh, I'm doing some more voice work and working on getting Moonflower finished, finally, which is very hard. I only have the energy to really write, like, one chapter a day. Uh, you, uh, you're getting George Martin syndrome. <sighs> I can't, I can't get George Martin syndrome. I'm not even a published author. <laughs> You're still getting it. You're still getting it. And, of course, we can find Morgan, besides in Manchester, at... Well, obviously, I, I will start by... Well, yes, you can find me, of course, at the purple dot with a three instead of the E on Twitter. Because three is the magic number. But also, you can find me on... The shows on this very feed. It's a wonderful podcast, the main show. That's this show you're listening to right now. That's every Friday. It's always me on here. Nolan switches off every other week with Janine. And Janine is is on the weeks Nolan's not on. That's how it works. That's what switching off means. Sometimes, on special occasions, we'll all be on together. And that's very fun as well. Maybe yes, the next with time... work and everything, it's a lot easier. It, it, yes, it, it, it is. Um, but that's not the only show we have on this feed we do of course have Morgan Hasn't Seen every Wednesday at the minute that's changed to Janine Hasn't Seen where I get to choose movies for Janine to watch this last week um, we talked about Vincent Price in The Haunted Palace Nolan my actual favourite Vincent Price movie um, for many, many reasons, it's just absolutely bizarre, and I'm, 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 I'm just a big fan of The Haunted Palace, I like The Haunted Palace, uh, and Janine wanted to watch more Price movies, so we did that one this week, so that was very fun, obviously, and we of course have Machine Mondays as well, every Monday, with Janine talking all her schmodown things, so Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have you covered on the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed, you can find the feed, of course, on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, CastBox, and a whole bunch of others, because we are absolutely everywhere, which is good. You have to be everywhere. We do, of course, also have the It's a Wonderful Podcast Patreon, patreon.com slash it's a wonderful one. Check out the tiers on there. Find the one that's right for you. We've got a whole bunch of fun stuff going on on the Patreon. Go and check it out. There we go. Your Jimbo. More samurai movies, more foreign language movies, Nolan. Yay! Indeed. Totally I, yes. I say we do some, like, French movies or something like that soon as well. Oh, yes. Because, you know... I'll bring the croissants. Bring the croissants. Bring the garlic. Bring the onions. Bring the stripy jumpers and get really stereotypical about it. I have enough garlic in there to kill off an entire extended family of vampires. Good. 
That's I'm half Italian. We love our garlic. That's good. We garlic is very, very we like garlic. We do like garlic. Um we're not to be stereotypical to the French people. I, I I do like French movies in general. I would like to talk about French movies. Um yes. There we go though. I think there's only one thing left to do, which of course when it's me and Nolan, is me saying bye and asking Nolan to just do something funny right now just to end the show. You know how I said I wasn't going to end with the thing I said last week? Well, Morgan, thank you for allowing me to be inside of you. You're a disgrace. <laughs>